Welcome, this is Liza Young with Therapy Extended, and today I have Dr. Jake Porter with me. Um, he is the founder and president of Daring Ventures, which is in Texas, and y'all have so many services there, counseling, coaching, intensives, mm -hmm. on and on and on. Um, and Jake, you are a, a board-certified counselor. I'm going to read this off because there's a lot that you are <laughs> certified yeah. professional coach, certified sex addiction therapist, certified multiple addiction therapist. Correct me if I get any of this wrong. Certified clinical trauma professional and certified daring way facilitator. Right. Right. I'm not done. I'm not done. Okay. <laughs> he is an assistant professor of counseling at Houston graduate school of theology, where you're also the director of the uh -huh. Dr. professional counseling program that's right my yes friend what can you not, what can you not do <laughs> that's amazing well anything else anything? i cannot do anything else that's the answer to that question especially from my wife so <laughs> well it's it's great it's amazing it's a lot you have a wealth of knowledge um our connection is through the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists. Right. Um, where I received my clinical specialist cert partner specialist certification and right. I've gotten training from you as well. Yes. Yeah. And um, so I've loved being able to connect through these avenues. And, um, you know, I know we both have a heart for helping those that have been betrayed through, um, through affairs, porn, sex addiction, things of that. Yes. That's what I do a lot of in my practice and as yes. you as well. And, yeah. and the addict with you. Right. You work with the addict a lot. Right. Right. Yeah. We, uh, at Daring Ventures, we specialize in treating um, individuals and couples for issues around trauma and addiction. Um, primarily process addictions, although we are expanding into the substance use disorders arena right now but um, most of our clients are um, sex addicts or their partners mm -hmm. or I do also get a good number of couples where maybe clinically we wouldn't call it sexual addiction but there's been chronic betrayal yeah. um, uh, of one sort or another not even just sexually but uh, financially we have someone here who's a specialist in gambling disorders uh, or disordered gambling. So those sorts of things. And I primarily work with couples now. That's about 95% of what I do is work with couples. Uh, but then we have other staff therapists and coaches who work uh, with individuals as well. It's a lot going on over there. A it lot of needed stuff. I mean, oh, I yeah. this, the, the topic that we're going to talk about today is just, it's so not talked about and I uh -huh. think there's so much shame around it and you know f people feel so alone in it so you know I'm excited to just have your insight in these areas great so, great yeah yeah let's dive right in let's do it okay it. you know I'd like to kind of start with the with the the topic of sex addiction um okay. I think that it's probably more um it's it's not very understood I think think as as much as we think we know about it <laughs> do you know what I mean like I agree it doesn't mm -hmm. actually have to do with sex 
all the right. time. <laughs> right. 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 So help us understand understand sex addiction more and 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 that phenomenon that it, it really does sure. more to do with it than sex. Sure. So sexual addiction is a what we would call a process addiction or a behavioral addiction. So it has more in common, say, with um, with maybe disordered gambling or problematic gambling or uh, maybe with um, shopping, spending, debting. Uh, so those sorts of behavioral things. Although there is still that, um, that brain issue around dopamine kind of hijacking some of the systems of the brain. So we know that it is a real addiction. Uh, so I want to start there. It, it's, a, it's a real addiction. And there are fMRI studies coming out of England right now at a Cambridge University particularly that are showing that to be the case, that, that the brain has changed, that there is um, an impulsivity issue, there is uh, evidence of the, the, the cortex sort of going offline and a real impairment in decision-making. And so, so it's real, even though here in, in America, there's still a lot of um, debate about it. I think that's really driven by politics and money. That could be a topic for a whole other show. A whole other podcast. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yes. But, um, but the rest of the world pretty much recognizes it. In fact, uh, whereas here in America, sort of the, the Bible, if you will, of, of diagnosis is the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the APA. Uh, the rest of the world uses something called ICD, which is put up by the World Health Organization. They recently just added sexual addiction um really? yes yeah um right so problematic uh sexual behavior or compulsive sexual behavior is recognized okay so i want to start there because a lot of people say is that real can you really be addicted to it and and the answer is yes and so to get to that next part of your question about how it's not really about sex let me, let me tell you, I've, I've worked now, literally I've worked in one format or another with hundreds of sex addicts. They are not doing it because they love sex. Mm. That is not what is driving the behavior. Most of them, by the time they get into treatment, they are miserable. They have tried to stop over and over and over again and failed. They keep going back to these behaviors despite negative consequences to their own lives and the lives of their loved ones. They're finding themselves acting out these sexual behaviors, not for the pleasure, but really to try to outrun or avoid another pain. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so that's, that's um, where I start in this conversation with helping people understand it's not, oh my gosh, I love sex so much, I can't get enough of it. It's that I have figured out, really my nervous system, my limbic system, my nervous system, a part of my brain and body has determined that I can escape, I can avoid, I can numb something else that's really painful through the use of these behaviors. Let me give you a parallel, okay? so. Gambling addicts are not addicted to winning. If the, 
because there aren't that many winners in gambling. That's not how it works. There's something about that hope that this next pool, the next deal, that's going to, so there's this, we call it uh, intermittent anticipatory reward. That's the part that's addictive. That sometimes it might pay off and there's this hope and this burst of dopamine with the expectation. And non-consciously for sex addicts, there's this, there's this underlying drive that maybe this next time it'll actually, you know, take away this pain. Maybe this next time it'll really be it and I'm done. But the moment it happens, most of them feel shame and despair. Right. Fill up their space automatically. Um, so, so it's really not about sex. It, I think that is, that's so, I think that's mind boggling to mm-hmm. a lot of people. I know it was for me when I first started learning and studying and getting, trying to get a handle on this is, um, and, and, and encouraging those, you know, the partners who have been betrayed by this, that's like, you know, I thought we had a good sex life or he's getting right. enough sex or, you know, those things. And right. that's not what it's about. No. So, Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. It feels so much more personal, right? Exactly. Like, like if I yeah. found out that my wife has been hiding drinking from me, that's still going to be painful and even traumatic, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like an attack against me right. in the way a sexual betrayal does. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, you know, I want to validate for betrayed partners that, no, this isn't the same as finding out he's on drugs or, you know, something like that. It's not the same as finding out he's been hiding from you, his gambling habit or whatever. Because it, because sex strikes at, at the core of our being. Yeah. And so in that way, relationally, there's absolutely a personal impact. But I'm saying with intrapersonally, within the, the person who has the addiction, sex is is really pretty far along in that in that cycle of this addiction and it's only one the 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 behavior is only one little step in that in that cycle Mm -hmm. and it's really being fueled and driven by shame despair pain fear those sorts of things yeah and so how how does one get to the addiction level i mean does it does it start out with sex is enjoyable mm. and and then that the part of the brain gets triggered or for whatever reason i mean how does that right start in someone does it sure. start with that sure so um something that's going on right now that's super exciting is um there's actually a study taking place right now uh, primarily in Canada, although they collected data from all over the United States as well, but the actual research is being done in Canada. It's the very first genetic research into sex addiction. Oh, interesting. Super exciting. Uh, I, I get updates on results as they come out. It's been a little while since I've heard an update, but preliminary results seem to indicate that they are going to find a not there's not going to be a sex addiction gene, okay? Just like there's not an alcoholism gene or whatever, but there there probably is a genetic predisposition, mm. okay? So so I want to start there that there's probably a genetic predisposition, which 
even that gets kind of funny now because of the research in what's called epigenetics, how our environment actually turns off and on little switches in our DNA affecting and changing our, our genetic expression. But I don't want to get lost in that. But to start out podcast too. (laughs) Yeah, that's another podcast too. But, but I, I want to say that there's probably people with a predisposition. So start there. And then what we know is that the vast majority of, of sex addicts upwards of, um, I have these percentages somewhere precisely, but, but let's say more, more than 65% in the 70 and 80 percentile of sex addicts, uh, came from families with rigid family structures and disengaged family structures. So what that means is if there's too much rigidity, you know, not a lot of self-expression, uh, not a lot of safety, not a lot of uh, safety to explore. So it's very tight. It's very confined. That affects the development of a child and then a disengaged family system. So not a lot of emotional nurturing going on, not a lot of emotional safety going on that sets people up. Those family systems are also the family systems in which trauma happens most frequently, trauma and abuse. 97% of sex addicts, one study found 97% of sex addicts grew up experiencing emotional abuse. That is a significant percentage. Significant. 80 something percent, 80, I want to say seven is the number in my head, but 80 something percent experience, maybe it was 83, something like that percent experienced sexual abuse as children. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And so, and, and then, you know, maybe 60 or 70% experience some form of physical abuse mm-hmm. as children. So, so you've got these rigid disengaged family systems. You've got people who, um, who experience trauma. Trauma leads us to have all these adaptations in how we live life, all these defense mechanisms, right? I learned to numb my feelings. I learned to split you know, to see the world in black and white. I learned how to dissociate. I, you know, there's all kinds of ways our brains figure out how to survive. And, and these are adaptive for us as children, but later in life, they become maladaptive when we come to rely upon them for too long. So that's, those are the pieces that set, set a person up, right? Family system, early abuse, all these defense mechanisms on board. Okay. And then... And then exactly, it's the perfect storm because then there's some sort of catalytic event, okay? The death of a loved one, sudden loss of a relationship, getting broken up with. For some people, it's maybe work stress gets to the point where all those defense mechanisms, they're not working anymore. And the catalytic event is, you know, one of my very first clients I ever had, 80 something year old guy suddenly discovers internet pornography, develops the addiction at 80-something years old, okay? So there's a catalytic event that then takes this person who's got the predisposition, who's got the setup for it in his history or her history, and then all of a sudden there's a match thrown on that haystack and, and it ignites. And then you have the development of the addiction which can go in several directions from that. We know not every sex addict is alike. There's, you know, depending on who you ask, anywhere from uh, 13 to 18 subtypes of sex addicts. Okay, just like with alcoholics, some are, you know, martini drinkers every night, some are binge drinkers with beer on the weekend. Same sort of diversity in sex addiction. 
but then that also affects how it continues to grow and expand yeah. after that. Wow. Those percentages are blowing my mind. That's, um, yeah. and I, when you say that and, and it just kind of brings me back to the shame piece, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you, there's already the shame of this, all this abuse possibly, you know, or, yeah. and, and then the shame of the addiction as well. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, how do you start to begin to heal, help someone heal that, that shame piece? Because I feel like that that is what keeps so many from seeking help from reaching out. I mean, just the, because I think sex in general, just the word, right? right. I mean, it evokes right. so many things for so many different people. So to reach out and get that help, how do you, how do you work with that? Well, most, uh, most of our folks don't show up in my office because they suddenly decided they wanted it. Right. That does happen. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a recovering addict myself and thank God I reached out for help, uh, early on. Um, and now it was after I blew up my life and a relationship and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, so that does happen, but most of our folks end up in my office because they've been caught. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, so they show up, I don't want to say against their will because, because a lot of them, even though there's all kinds of panic and fear and, and shame and being caught, there's a little part of them too that might have a little relief and some hope like, okay, yep. maybe I can finally get out of this. So, you know, working with that shame is, uh, it, it, it kind of depends on the person. It could be so different for different people as I think through that question. But, but, but here's, here's what I think is important to understand about chronic shame is that chronic shame is, is really a, an issue of developmental deficit. Mm. What, what I mean by that is that you know, most people, uh, optimal development is that when we're young, okay, a year old, two, three, four years old, we're having this continuous experience with our caregivers whereby, um, you know, I'm three years old and I'm out on the playground and my mom's on the bench and I see gum stuck to the slide and I say, well, there's gum. That's great. I'm going to chew it. And I start to pick at the gum and I, just as I get it off the slide and I'm about to put the gum in my mouth, my mom looks up and she says, Hey, no, stop. Now what happens in that moment? Well, the most important person in the world to me, the person who keeps me alive just yelled at me and it scares me and I collapse from that. But then mom runs over and she says, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's not you. I love you. It's that, that gum. That gum's nasty. Put that down. Oh, that'll make us sick. I don't want you to be sick. That would be terrible. Oh, and she soothes me and she comforts me. And so after that experience of collapse, she then helps me upregulate and come out of that. And in my mind separate, oh, it's not me. It's this gum. This gum is the problem, not me. 
Yeah. Well, what happens is that some kids, they grow up and they have a, a caregiver who says, hey, put that down. Don't do that. But then doesn't come back and repair. Yeah. And what happens is then in the nervous system, there's a deficit of development. I, I never had built into me the capacity to upregulate from shame, to bring myself out of collapse, out of, out of that. And that, so that's not a choice I'm making. Yeah. And so we have to help clients have the experience and develop the capacity to withstand the shame. And that's why I love working with these, um, these folks in the context of a coupleship, because I, I usually leverage the, the, the power of, of the attachment in the coupleship to help them wow. do that. Wow. To, to heal that, to repair yeah. that. To, to yeah. repair, not just the, the wound of the attachment, but also to help them expand their own capacity to, to tolerate the shame and not give into the shame. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Um, you know, I, and this is, this is kind of a, a sad note, but, um, because I, I'm, I'm just personally so, um, drawn to the study and understanding of shame and, mm. um, and maybe even more so being in the Bible belt. Yeah. Where I am. Right. And, um, and just how sometimes just how we handle things you know, as it relates to this and thinking about, um, you know, you were talking about percentages and correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know the, the percentage, but I think it's over 50% of pastors who have admitted um, right. struggling with porn of some kind. That's just those who have admitted and right. not many people will admit that, you know, so I'm right. sure it's quite higher. Um, and there's so much shame in that, you know, as well, I'm, I'm a Christian or just people, Christians or people in, in church or just, you know, that I've known people who have been rejected traumatically from the right. church or fired or instead of getting the help that they need, you right. know, that, sure. um, so this is kind of a side note, but I'm, tr I'm thinking of that as it relates to shame and this addiction. I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, uh, got a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> I was a pastor for 13 years. Were you? I was. Do tell. <laughs> I was a pastor for 13 years. Wow. I was, I was 21 years old when my home church um, called me to be the senior pastor. No. I was a hero child, if you know all the family system stuff. So oh, yeah. church was yeah. struggling here comes Jake to save the day. Stepped up, made it. Stepped up. Happen. People wanted me to do it. I, how could I disappoint them? Um, it just wow. it was perfect. Uh, I was pastoring already before I got into recovery. Mm. So I was one of those pastors struggling in, in an addiction um, wow. yeah. while pastoring. What and, was that like for you? Oh, it was terrible. It was, mm. it was, um, hellish, wow. you, know, um, you know, the Bible often talks about sin sort of being its own consequence, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? 
you know, Romans one, God giving us over to our, to our sins. And, uh, yeah, I, I lived that and it was, it was miserable and very scary. Um, my, you know, my livelihood, my career, all of the thought of being discovered, found out was, yeah, it, it definitely kept me maneuvering in the shadows. Uh, for a long time until um, I hit a bottom and finally reached out for help. And when I did, I, uh, I got into recovery and life got better. I was in recovery for a couple of years and then I had a relapse. And at that point, I told some other leaders at the church who were very supportive. Um, and and then I had several more years of um, of good recovery and good ministry until I relapsed again, and that ended my ministry. Wow! And so um, it was, was a real. Was it? Did it end your ministry because they had like three strikes and you're out, sort of a thing, or no? Uh, well, first of all, I'll say that I had decided already that I was going to step away from pastoring and that I was going to, I had already started the counseling work that I was doing and God was blessing that it was people were coming already from all over the world to work with me. And, um, and so I had made that decision and I was going to, I, I had been dating my wife. We weren't yet married and it was time to buy a ring. And I even said as much to my people closest to me. And, and I even said, I'm not going to do what I used to. I'm not going to sabotage this thing. Mm. I'm not going to do it. That would have been my old pattern to get close to commitment and sabotage. And dad gummit if I didn't do it. Mm. And, uh, and it just sent me into a spiral, basically. And there's a lot of other factors. Yeah. Some depression was on board. Uh, it's something I've dealt with since I was a teenager and anxiety, but sent me into a spiral. I shared uh, what was going on with people in the church who I was very close with. Um, it did not stay within that circle. And I, I, I really do not just choose. I, I do believe that people were doing the very best they, they knew to do. Um, but some folks thought that more needed to happen in terms of some discipline toward me and that sort of thing. Also, there was a lot of confusion about, um, the timeline of my own story. There was confusion about what happened when, because not just the, the most recent relapse that had occurred, but stuff from way before, before I ever got into recovery, it all kind of bled together. Yeah. And at that point it was just too yeah. late. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what, you know, I, I imagine that's also incredibly lonely. Um, you know, before you're, before you reach out, even after, mm-hmm. but just, um, you know, thinking of those who may be listening now, um, and who have not reached out yet. And, what, how could you encourage them? What would you say to 
just having experienced this yourself to, hey, let's take this step and this is how you can do it. What could you say to that? You know, I would say, um, I would say choose wisely who you tell, not out of, not out of um, a wrong sort of self-protection. Okay. Not, not from that place but just from, from true wisdom, you know, of, of, of looking for those people who, who understand how to love you with, with the truth, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, who aren't going to patch on the back and say it's okay and sweep it under the rug. That's not helpful either. Yeah. Um, but I, I would also say find a good professional who is trained in this work and start start your work yeah like reach out if 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 there's a a pastor listening to this i would say just go find a good uh therapist who is thoroughly trained in sexual addiction who can set you on a course for recovery and then from a place of recovery and greater health you can begin taking whatever steps you feel like you need to take to make right your situation. Yeah. And I would say God is faithful. And though it may cost uh, some things in your life, God will bless um, with good things. Absolutely. Place I'm married now. I love my practice. I love my work. I love getting to teach. Um, I grieve, you know, what was lost because of my choices and because of my behaviors, but, um, God's been very faithful. Well, I mean, he, he's all about redemption and restoration. Like that's his thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, I mean, yeah, obviously there's the natural consequences of our actions, right. but the, the redemption. So that, that's so good. And I, I think also, and, and we're kind of can go ahead and move into this part is, you know, if you, if you are in a relationship, finding someone who is partner sensitive, that's right. kind of, you know, just, and what I mean by that is, and, and you can speak to this too, but um, who understands the, not just what you're going through and the intensity of overcoming an addiction, but also the trauma that your spouse or significant other is dealing with in this, right. in this moment too. So that, um, I just think that is so important. And I know that's important for you as well, just because we kind of come from that same mindset, but what, what would you say to that? I mean, how important that is. Mm-hmm. I would say if your relationship matters to you, that has to be front and center in your decision regarding treatment because it can make or break uh, a marriage, a relationship, a partnership. So, um, there are different models on how we understand the experience of a partner of a sex addict and the old model, uh, would be called the co-addiction model or the codependence model. And, you know, there's a whole history to that. There's a whole, you know, long history to that. Um, and what I would say is that those terms evolved over time and they're not useful. I, I would say we have outgrown 
those That's a good way to put it those concepts I don't think that people who operated within those models were bad. Um, that's, that's the air that the field was breathing at the time. You know, I mean, th there wasn't an alternative, but thank goodness there's been, you know, a correction and that's, that's how science works, right? Someone puts a thesis out there and eventually someone's going to come on, come out and challenge a piece of it. And so we have that, that whole movement of uh, thesis, antithesis, and eventually synthesis and and we know that a little over 10 years ago there started to really be a push to look at partners of addicts in a different way and to take all those symptoms that we labeled as codependency and hold them up next to the symptoms of trauma and say well my goodness maybe this is trauma yeah and um <laughs> And, and sure enough, that's, that's the case. And, and yeah. we now know that people who think they have been living one reality and suddenly find out that they've been living another, that has a traumatic effect on the brain. And so we have to deal with post-traumatic stress reactions and trauma work and we have to deal with attachment injuries um, for those partners of addicts and for the relationships that they're in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm so thankful. I think that it's a beautiful thing when people, you know, we come, somebody comes up with a, a system or a theory or something that works and, and, and so much good comes from it, but then it's also people keep, thinking and we right. exploring and troubleshooting and we're like well, wait and we and that's just the beauty of growth and humanity i think it's just just kind of ever evolving better and better hopefully you know and um and so just that switch though to you know the the one that's been betrayed it's it's not your fault like it, there's nothing that you could have done or or not done to have changed this. It wasn't the amount of sex you were or were not giving. It wasn't right. your nagging or, you know, I mean, we all have stuff in our, our relationships that we can improve on hands down all day long. Right. Right. But this is another level. This is not, I mean, there's, there's no blame, you know, on the spouse for this. And I think this model has just really, helped so many be able to breathe and feel seen and heard and mm. okay you know and um and and kind of going on that you you created uh couple-centered recovery right? right is that am i saying that right that that's yes. a, a yes. treatment model that you use it's kind of right that some and how sure sure so um what i'm trying to do with couple center recovery is sort of that little bit of that synthesis I talked about from thesis to antithesis to synthesis because there were, so used to in the old school model it was very addict centered and uh you know again that's just where those folks were yeah. all right and and we didn't even I mean we have to understand sex addiction treatment as a field is 
brand new still. Yeah. In terms of you know history, looking at it historically, it is still a very, very young field. So it started in this very addict-centered way. I mean, they would do things like, you know, there'd be this addict, uh, sex addict in treatment off, you know, who was, who was sent off to inpatient treatment, and he's on day 65, and they'd have him call his wife on the phone to give her a disclosure. Oh, no support for the wife. No, yeah. I mean, that was a standard practice. Mm -hmm. no, we would never do that now. Would never do that now. So, but so it started there. There was the much needed correction in terms of how we view partners. And with that, the, the pendulum swung way over with that needed correction. And with what I'm trying to do with couple center recovery is, is bring it back, not, not back toward codependence. That's not what I mean, but back to a place that says, we are creatures made for connection. Mm -hmm. We have this attachment drive that is core to our identity as humans. And so if someone is in a coupleship, okay, then putting that relationship at the center of the healing process leveraging the natural power of attachment can actually strengthen and even speed up the healing process because think about this in from three three directions for the the sex addict underneath the addiction is an attachment disorder okay so any addiction is really about using something on the outside to change the way I feel on the inside. Right. The clinical term for that is I have affect dysregulation. I can't regulate my affect, kind of that, that physical feeling state of my body. It, so I, I need something else to help me regulate it. And sex addicts happen to turn to sex. Well, where does that ability to regulate one's affect come from? It comes from secure attachments. Mm, yeah. Having the experience of secure attachments is what actually um, uh, stimulates in my neurobiology, in my nervous system, the capacity to regulate my own affect. So underneath that sex addiction is an attachment issue. Now come over here to the partner side. Partner trauma, what's underneath all those post-traumatic symptoms, all the, those post-traumatic reactions? What's, what's going on there underneath a, a trauma trigger? It's an attachment threat and an attachment injury. So yeah. at the core, you know, at that root level for, for both people, you've got this attachment wound. And then what is the relationship? An attachment. So putting that at the center, I just think it makes sense yeah. treatment-wise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's, I mean, we we are just made for connection. Right. Just, I mean, just, we are. And we, um, so that, that absolutely may, I'm, I'm huge on attachment and Sue Johnson and you were, you yes. have some training with her right? yes. under, with that. And just, um, I love it. I geek out over it. <laughs> it's right. Just, Me there's, too. It's just so much. It's beautiful. It is. It it's, is. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you, with, with that, um, 
because this this just kind of came to my mind, just kind of that tightrope of um, within couples therapy with with this. Um, how do I word this? I guess bringing bringing them together, you know, working together with them and the, this attachment, how they can regulate and you know each other, but also that sentiment of I'm not responsible for your emotions or what, do you know what I mean? Like the, where the responsibility lies. Sure. But sure. Yeah. So I conceptualize that there are three levels of relational health. Okay. And the first level is really like relational unhealth. Okay. It's not healthy, not where we want to live. And that's you exist to take care of me or I exist to take care of you. And maybe we even flip flop back and forth on who gets to say which of those, but that's, that's like level one. That's not healthy. That's not where we want to be level two. And a lot of recovery programs are really good at getting people from level one to level two. Level two is I, I take care of me and you take care of you. And you can even make it sound like a really sweet Hallmark card. I take care of me for you and you take care of you for me. I've right? actually seen that as a meme of some sort oh, I sure. think out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it is that, that is an, a space that is worlds better than level one. Absolutely. But, but I don't think that's optimal. Like I don't think that that is what I would call flourishing. Flourishing is, you know what? I can take care of you and me at the same time. Mm. it's it's not i'm not responsible for your choices yeah. but i'm responsible as your partner to join you in you living your best life and you doing the same for me yeah we we do have an effect on our partners and i have to own that that's just a reality. I'm, I'm denying reality if I think that there's my side of the street and her side of the street and we don't have an effect on each other. Right. And so, and so there's sort of this dialectic, right? So in mental health, we talk about these dialectics, these things that seem to be uh, in contradiction, these paradoxes, but they're both true. And so, you know, I would say it is absolutely true that my wife is not responsible for the choices that I make. I own those choices. And I would simultaneously say that my wife and what she does influences me and impacts me more than any other human being on the planet. Right. As, as she should. As she She's should. She's the most important person in your life. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I mean, it is, it's undeniable as, I mean, even I've been married for 16 years. I don't know. Is that right? Do you know <laughs> 16? We're going to go with 16. Okay. Go with it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. But even if one of us is just a little off kilter, you know, mm -hmm. or kind of in a funk or whatever, it may not have to do with the other and, and we're okay. We'll go along, but it's still like, mm, you, you can't help but feel it a little, sure. you know, and I mean, it just changes the atmosphere. Absolutely. Just does. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that, I, I love that because that, that level two, although it's much better than that one, there's still, it's, it's almost like the separate, there's, 
here's here's how i would say it and this comes from um the model of couple therapy called pact by a guy named stan tatkin t-a-t-k-i-n pact therapy stands for psychobiological approach to couple therapy and uh, i'm trained in that as well and i love pact and you are (laughs) pact talks about how how we want we don't want to be two one-person systems coexisting in life we want to be one two-person system, right? Okay, that's secure functioning, and and secure functioning means that I am adopting the paradigm that what is best for this relationship defines what's best for me. Mm-hmm. I never have to choose between what's best for me and what's best for the relationship, because what's best for the relationship is what defines what's best for me. Wow, it's the measure. For what's best for me and a lot of people that is not even an option in the universe of their minds right one of the things i do with couples all the time is i have them sit across from each other and stare in each other's eyes and say things like okay so I, this was i had a couple in here from i don't remember where but it doesn't matter i had a couple in here they were from out of state but i can't remember where and we're working through this issue, blah, 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 blah. And, and it's really over a third party and how involved this person is going to be in their life. And I, I said, I, I'm, I want you to just say this. Don't even think about these words. Just say it and let's see how it feels. And I had him look into her eyes, stare into her eyes and say, I choose this relationship over myself. I choose to protect this relationship over protecting myself. And as he said it, you could hear in his voice, you could see in his eyes, he had never thought of that. Wow. And and this is what is so important for clients to understand, for folks to understand. That tells me this guy, maybe he was acting like a jerk. Maybe he was, was in fact being a jerk, but he wasn't choosing to not put the relationship first because he just didn't want to it wasn't within his realm of possibility yeah on the table that he had thought of it was a deficit right and so what we're doing is we're pushing people to expand their capacities to move forward in their own development and part of that is learning how to be a dyad Learning how to actually commit. A lot of people don't know how to do that. They've never done it. Wow. That is, um, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, and I, and I understand a a lot of people when, when someone, even if it's, it's, there's not, it's not a sex addiction of just, um, and I say just, I, I don't mean just, but it's someone who's had an affair or something of that nature some people are just like, forget it. I'm out and gone. I'm not working. Completely get it. Completely understand that, you know, and there's still healing that needs to be done, whether you stay or go. Um, but if you're trying to figure out if you want to stay or, and you're, you're wanting to see if this can work and kind of working through this, that, okay, there's also that piece that talking on everything that you've said, there's also that piece that I'm thinking, there, the spouse is also not the, um, how do I, I put this? 
um, sponsor. <laughs> So right. to speak, right? Like, um, there, there's the the constant need for the the trade partner to obviously want to check in and check up. And what are you doing? Where are you going? Who are you talking to? And that's kind of their own PTSD stuff coming up, which is completely understandable. But where do you think that responsibility is? To does the spouse need to hold them accountable? I don't know if I'm wording this right, but do you know where I'm coming from? <laughs> I, I think I do. I, I think I do. So let's, let's talk about it in terms of justice. Okay. Okay. So, so a relationship, a healthy relationship, there should be equality, right? Mm-hmm. I, I need to be same as with my partner. Okay. I'm not one up. I'm not one down. I'm same as with my partner. That's a healthy relationship. Well, if I have been betraying the vows, in other words, there was an agreement made about what it means to be in this relationship. If I am violating that agreement, but withholding the reality that I'm doing so from my partner, I have just created a power differential. Yeah. I have just gone one up. Okay. So with, by withholding the reality of the relationship from my partner, now she is operating in a false reality. I put her in a one down position. Now, suddenly she finds out, she discovers it, it is physics. It's the law of the universe. It's not going to go straight back to same as, there is going to be a period of, of rebalance that takes place. There's going to be a shift. And again, this is from pack training. The betrayed partner gets to set the terms for reentry into the relationship, mm-hmm. which is to say, you told me you would put this relationship first and you didn't do it. Now I'm going to give you the ways I'm going to outline for you how you can show me that you will in fact put this relationship first and with consistency over time you following through on that 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 rebalance is going to continue to happen so that we are once again same as because the power differential after discovery is not about punishment it's about safety yeah yeah and so with consistency over time we can bring it back to a position of mass rather than one up and one down does that get what you were asking yep yeah absolutely i mean i think that 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 is so helpful um there there is a level and you touched a little bit about this and this is something else i kind of geek out on is um anything neuroscience related you know just neurobiology all that stuff Mm -hmm. just the mind is amazing to me and just everything um because so much of this, whether you there's an addiction or there is the a very physiological reaction, trauma response, you know, I mean, there's just so much to all of this. But what have you learned? Because I know that, that you you use some of that with your your studies, your teaching, your therapy. Sure. In yeah. what ways do you do that? I mean, what how do you bring that into yeah. your practice? Well, I, I, in, in many ways, um, many, many ways. So I do, I teach a lot of neuroscience to my clients. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that it's, it's very powerful to, to do several things. One, it can be so shame reducing, mm, right? Yeah. So someone keeps having this reaction. They feel like they can't control it. Well, let me explain to you that in fact you can't and wow. let me show you why, you yeah. know? So there's that it can produce empathy, you know, for partners. Uh, and I don't mean that like betrayed partners. I mean, whether, whether they're, the betrayed or the addicted or whatever it can, it can create uh, empathy for one's partner. Um, if, so if I help, uh, if I, if I teach someone who's addicted uh, or who committed chronic betrayal about what's happening in his wife's brain, right. That can really help open their eyes uh to, to the reality of what's going on and they feel compassion and empathy. So there's that, but also just helping couples understand, Hey, you have different brains. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me, based on the assessments I did with you, let me sketch for you some of the differences in your brains. And now that means if you want to like have a peaceful, healthy, happy relationship, you need to tend to each other's brains. Cause parts of this won't change. You're just different. It's not right or wrong. So let's learn how to, how to uh, meet each other. I want to know how to meet my partner where she is. Is is she hypersensitive to emotional overwhelm? Is she hypersensitive to abandonment? Is she hypersensitive to misattunement? These are brain structure issues, you know, and and I want to know that. So, so it can really, um, I find it helps me clinically because uh, I do thorough assessment before any couple comes to see me. It helps me know which interventions I'm going to use and what skills I'm going to teach and what felt experiences I want to help them to, to, to generate during the, the time with me to help them connect and actually attach better. Yeah, yeah coming back to the attachment. Yeah. Right. It, it is. I think that that is so important. I mean, we just, we so easily just think, okay, well, this is an emotional issue or this is a physical, you know, we can't separate it. No. We just can't even, even spiritually. I mean, right. all of it, you know, um, we just, just like we affect each other. Right. <laughs> you That's know, right. all of that affects us within yeah. Absolutely. There is no nice, neat separation of the material and the immaterial, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional. Yeah. They are, you know, at least as we exist in this state, in this age, mm-hmm. okay, we are embodied beings. Yeah. And yeah. 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 So the, the body's the, the, the means by which we have all of our experiences, mm-hmm. emotional, spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before, before I move on, just kind of going back to one thing that you said, um, where kind of helping to reduce shame and say, you know, no, you, you can't control this. Hmm. I also know that there are those who have been hurt. Who is it? You, you can control this, right? Hmm. Like you can stop this if you wanted to, if you let me, you know, or, um, things, things of that nature. And so I'm I'm sure that that, you know, helping that understanding how that, and I think that's with any addiction is, well, you, you can stop yourself from picking up that drink or you can, you know, um, I think there's just, there is that. 
yeah conception that's hard to understand well and this is another dialectic right this is another paradox and we have to hold on to both sides i i do believe we are responsible and we make choices and they're real choices and there are consequences for them and they they make a difference and i believe there are times you know when i say you can't help it i'm talking about something like that collapse response i'm talking about yeah. fight or flight responses um and and the many ways those can kind of take on a life of their own yeah and and yeah. Here's, here's what i say to my clients all the time it may not be your fault or it may not be like a choice you feel like you are making in the moment but it's always once you have the awareness of it it's always your responsibility what you do next yeah. about it yeah right so whether i'm talking to the um the addict who is is just headed toward recovery or a betrayed partner who is suffering from um post-traumatic stress it may not it may not be your fault or it may not feel like it was a choice you made in the moment but in this moment it's your responsibility yeah. for your own good mm -hmm. and the good of your partner to take a step toward health yeah yeah absolutely um and how you know on the on this healing journey that again this is kind of talking i guess more so of those who are going to try to work it out and, and, yeah. and do the really hard work it is hard work i mean oh, yeah. you know i mean this is intentional hard work to get to that place of you know beauty for ashes right, right. and so um a lot of times i kind of you kind of have to you know talk about the reality of, of the timeline what this is going to look like you know this isn't just a couple mm -hmm. weeks couple months situation i mean this is um this is deep so what what is that timeline for as far as like recovery and then you know sobriety and just and then there's right. relapses that right. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I usually almost inevitable. I don't know how that, you know, it just seems like that's kind of comes with the territory with addiction with, um, I don't know, speak to that. Cause I don't know as sure. much about that part as sure. Trade, but so, um, you know, in, in terms of a timeline of recovery, I would say this first, every individual and every couple is different mm -hmm. and you can really set yourself up for some discouragement if you believe there is a cookie cutter process yeah. and you begin to compare your story to the stories of maybe the other women in your support group or the other men in your support group uh that can that can set you up for some despair um so everybody's different having made that disclaimer you know the the best research out there says that, that there's a three to five year process of healing yeah. um that the first year is really about stabilization it's about getting some grounding and recovery for the person who's addicted it's about getting some st stabilization and safety 
for the person who's experienced the betrayal trauma and um, and and then moving into the actual healing of the underlying issues and the attachment wound between them. I really do believe that coupled center recovery, coupled center recovery uh, sets people on a course that moves faster and is still as effective. Now that doesn't mean for every couple again. And, and there are people who call me who want to do intensives with me. And I say to them, you know, I really don't think that this model is a good fit for you. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, but for those folks who, if they, if they are very committed to the marriage, to the relationship, if, if the person who's addicted has shown a capacity for change, yeah. okay, if they've been able to get some traction in recovery and, and get a little bit of true sobriety within them, you know, those, those sorts of things tell me, you know, we, we might well use this model. And in those cases, I've, I've worked with couples who within two to three years are really back to a place of health and joy and happiness That's in their beautiful. marriages. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, but it just makes a lot of sense what you're doing with that. I mean, I think we, we just heal better together than alone and separate. I mean, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, what is just kind of wrapping up here, but what, what would you say to those just kind of giving some kind of hope to those listening who may be in this, whether betrayed or addict or in this, in this journey and they're like, Oh, years. I don't know if I can do this. It just seems too much. You know, that, I don't know how much I can do of this, mm. this work. What, 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 have you, what can you say is just hopeful for that? <laughs> um, Give them hope. Dr. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope is one of our core values at Daring Ventures. Mm. Okay. So it's, it is front and center. And I believe in redemption. I believe in healing. Um, I believe that the dead are raised. Mm. Okay. And that, that springtime comes after every winter. So those echoes of resurrection yeah. that are all through nature, you know, we find those echoes in all the, uh, spiritual traditions of the world and you know for me as a as a christian first and foremost in the story of of jesus and his death and his resurrection and you know i just i see it in the fabric of our universe i see it as the trajectory of history yeah um and i believe it for individuals and I believe it for marriages yeah. and I would say that if you find somebody who's got the training and that person if they've got the skill and they've got the training and they they have hope for you I would I would ask you see if you could just borrow their hope 
for a little while. See if you could just borrow their hope until you might have some of your own um, and, and then get to maybe experience some real powerful healing. And, and I'll say one more piece as well. I recognize not every marriage makes it. Yeah. I recognize that not every addict uh, lives in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to, I want to acknowledge that. And I want to say that doesn't mean you don't have to have hope Yeah. because there, the, maybe, maybe that redeemed ending just isn't something that you've thought of yet kind of like earlier we were talking about how so, how sometimes there are things that aren't even within someone's conceptual world yeah. you know maybe there's there's something out there that that hasn't even entered your mind yet mm. that's really good yeah yeah i love that i you know um i've often said that even in, in my to some of my clients you know okay here's here's my hope for, for mm-hmm. this situation and for you. And here you go, take it That's right. until you, until you get some of your That's own, right. you know, that's, right. that's, that's absolutely. Yeah. 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 What do you have in the, speaking of just reaching out and, you know, finding good help in this that people who are really trained and, you know, I think that this is so important and there's so many fantastic therapists and coaches, um, but everyone ha- kind of has their own wheelhouse, you know, their specialty. And so I think it is very mm-hmm. important to find someone specific to these things. And you, I know you do online stuff as well as just there in-house in, in, in Texas, but what do you have coming up? Uh, groups, sure. intensives, what you got? Right. right. So we have several online groups uh, for both um, sex addicts and betrayed partners. Uh, they're all facilitated by either ITAP trained or APSATS trained certified coaches. Um, and so those are available for folks all around the country. We have them that meet in the evening. We have them that meet daytime. Um, so if someone's interested in those, they can go to the contact form on our website, daringventures.com. Let us know that you're interested in an online group and we'll get you connected there. So those are ongoing. Um, and then there are a lot of opportunities for intensives. I do couples intensives um, every week. And right now I am booked through June. I think I've got one spot open in July. Um, but there's from my website, there's an, an application for an intensive to start that process. If someone would like to come, I do a lot of disclosures, but a lot of just relational healing intensives as well and uh, utilize Sue Johnson's work and Stan Tatkin's work and try to apply that to these couples. So, um, so, so there's that. I, I do a family of origin intensive for men and for women, wow. uh, specifically for male sex addicts or for betrayed partners who are women. One of those coming up in May. We'll open registration for that pretty soon. Uh, another one in July, I think, for women. So that's coming up. Yeah. Any coaches or clinicians out there, in the fall, I hope to launch a program, a pilot program for training in the couple center recovery model. Awesome. And so if there's interest in I'll that. I'll mark that on my calendar. Okay. <laughs> People could start letting me know. Just email me, jake at daringventures.com. Let me know you'd be interested in that, and I'll put you on a list 
to give you a first shot at the the spots yes. that I'm going to open in that pilot program. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a lot. You got a lot going on. We got a lot going on. One more thing yeah. we haven't even announced this publicly yet, but I'll go ahead and tell you we're developing right now um, an intensive outpatient program for male sex addicts. Um, I think it's going to be amazing. It's going to integrate evidence-based treatments. It'll have a, uh, a process of stepping down back to a, to a more sustainable level of care. Um, and so certainly for folks in the Houston area, but we even believe this may be a program that, uh, we're going to partner with local sober living, uh, houses where people from even out of state may want to travel in. Uh, yeah. to do some of their initial wow. treatment through our IOP program. And we hope that is launched this summer. That is so exciting because it is so needed. Absolutely. And um, man, yeah, that, that's, that's fantastic. That's exciting. That's good stuff. And I'm, I, I love to get as many resources as I can. And, you know, it's just, it's great. Um, Y'all follow, go get more information at www.daringventures.com. Um, you can follow Dr. Porter on Instagram and Facebook. Is it under Dr. Jake Porter? Dr. Jake Porter. Okay. On both. Yeah. Instagram both? and Facebook. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, to keep up with all these things to kind of see, see what, what's going on there. Um, you just have so much wisdom and, and just, you know, and I know everybody there at, at your, your place is, um, has I have an amazing so team. Uh, yeah, I really do. Yeah. yeah. They make so me look good. They, it's a good thing. I'm good oh yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I so appreciate this. Um, I appreciate you taking your time out because you're clearly very busy. <laughs> well, it's and, my honor. Thank um, you for asking me. I mean, it's just, it's just needed. It's so needed to be talked about, even if you're not in the midst of it yourself to just to have a better understanding, because I promise you, you know, someone, even if you don't know yet, mm -hmm. you know, someone who's, right. who's, who's in this and to have this understanding and, um, and just sharing the wisdom that you have is, is great. So I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for what you're doing. Get the message out. Thanks. Thank you so much.